Make sure my mic was on. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Wolverine.com postgame show uh, here on the Wolverine's YouTube channel. Also streaming, uh, you'll hear the podcast feed, here in our podcast feed after the fact. Of course, uh, Anthony Broom joined every week uh, by former Michigan defensive lineman Ryan Van Bergen. Uh, he is from his the friendly confines of home. I am in the press box in Piscataway after a 52-17 Michigan win. Before we get into your questions, your takeaways, do want to shout out our friends over at Lewis Jewelers, uh, where Ann Arbor gets engaged. Keith and our Keith and his team do a phenomenal job over there. Amazing supporters of this show. So uh, shout out to them and thank you so much to them for their continued sponsorship of our post-game podcast during football season. All right, Ryan, uh, we'll just hop right into it here. I mean, there are a couple games, well, it's happened a lot to Michigan this season where you kind of, you know, when you're the University of Michigan and when you are the defending Big Ten champion, you are going to take everyone's best punch in every single game. The target is already on their back because of who they are as a program, what their history is, uh, but also, you know, a little little extra juice because they are the defended, uh, defending Big Ten champions. And um, I talked to Jake Butt at halftime of, uh, of this game, and he said, listen, I mean, this isn't – these games against Rutgers are not name-your-score games anymore. They're physically much better than they were a couple of years ago. Uh, they compete much better. They're, they're much better coached. Um, Michigan's down 17-14 at the half in this game and kind of lost its way a bit in that second quarter, sloppy, uncharacteristic mistakes. And they've done – they did what they've done so many times this year, and that is come back – Put the you know put the hammer down, put the foot on the gas pedal. Thirty-eight unanswered points to finish out this game. I mean, this is it was the worst half of football by far they've played this year, followed by the absolute best half of football they've played so far this year. Uh, amazing response by them on a day where your number one team went down in the college football playoff rankings. The number four team went down in Clemson. Alabama loses literally at the same time the Michigan game ends. Pretty good day to be a Michigan fan. It is, and it's something that, like you said, not even really tail the two halves, but yes, the first half, but third quarter, the third quarter, to be able to play one good quarter of football and beat any opponent in the Big Ten says something about your team. And uh, we could harp on the first half and getting off to a slow start, but there were some circumstances that just weren't in our favor this this week. We have you know two key guys on offense down, two key guys on defense down, Blake Corum, I don't know. They made a big deal about it on the broadcast that he was vomiting on the sidelines. Who knows? You know, there, there may have been an illness going through the locker room. You're on the road. You're on an away game, night game. And you play the half that you played and then come out and dominate in the third quarter. And special shout out specifically to the defense, Michael Barrett. I mean, our, our entire team dominated in the third quarter, but the defense kind of said, no, no, no. This isn't how this is going to go. And as a former defensive guy, I get all jacked up about something like that. So um, it just shows you the maturity of this team, uh, how good this team really is to be able to adjust and wipe the slate clean and come out in the third quarter and play the game that you were supposed to play. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited considering it's hard to win in college football games. I don't care where you play and especially on the road, but it's hard to win college football games. And you see that as a, as a result of what happened this week with all the other teams. 
Yeah, and Hutch has the third quarter stats up here. I mean, that's where everything changed. I mean, 28 points, uh, outgained Rutgers 99 to 39. Um, a, a lot of it had to do with the, you know, finally, what have we been talking about for weeks here, Ryan? Turning teams over uh, on defense. I mean, it felt I like think they it's were three overdue. turnovers in the third quarter. That one's not there, but I think that's what it was, was three. Oh, yeah, yeah there we, we go. Scrolled down a little bit. Yep, there it is. Yep. Um, so. Rutgers actually, you know, won the time of possession of battle in that quarter because they had more offensive possessions because they were turning the ball over. And it felt like Michigan was overdue for a game where it started to snowball a bit. And I guess talk to me about first of all, let's let's start with what you saw in the first half and then the adjustments that were made in the locker room, which they have been made in every single game this year. My initial impression was I was actually very excited about the game plan coming in. Uh not excited specifically about the injuries that happened, but the fact that Andrell Anthony was going to be a little bit more involved on the offense, um, you know, that we we're going to see a little bit more of, I can't remember his name because it's not my thing, but freshman tight end that everybody's been excited about. And it gives these guys an opportunity to get some more touches and see what maybe happens. And then in the first half, there were just some miscues. I got to be honest, JJ McCarthy's body language in the first half told me something was up. I didn't know what it was, but something was up. And, we missed yeah, hit a lot. Yeah, that yeah, that that'll change your attitude for sure. But um, some of those he's welcoming, you know, as he's going out of bounds and stuff. But uh, I just thought that in general, we came out, we threw on first down. Um, you know, we we mixed it up. We threw some shots, you know, threw the ball downfield, which we've been talking about a lot that we're missing that element. And we missed, you know, we had a couple that we hit. We had a couple that we missed and our offense was just. I don't know, misfiring, misfiring. Uh, and they were winning some jump balls, which I'm sure made everybody nervous. But you got to credit Ryan. I can't remember his first name, but from Rutgers, he made some some great plays on some jump balls. And, uh, you know, we, we just found ourselves in a fight after the first half. And you kind of wondered, is there going to be more of a struggle in the second half? And to come out in the third quarter, especially, again, the way the defense did, um, just smothering and then generating turnovers, which I've been critical of all year, that we're not doing a good enough job there if you have to get picky. And uh, I thought the defense, this might have been their best game yet. Yeah, and and worth mentioning too, I mean, I think it was five starters out. Uh, Jamon Green did not play tonight. Uh, Jalen Harrell did not play tonight. Yabi Yoki got the start. Uh, both starting tackles were out. Uh, no Trente Jones. They're giving him another week to come back from that high ankle sprain. Uh, Ryan Hayes was banged up at some point this week. Uh, Roman Wilson didn't play. So a lot of guys, uh, you know, interesting, some interesting speak, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of the other stuff, but uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, as we've sat here in recent weeks, talked about how we need to see more from the wide receivers. We saw Maury and Walker play tonight. We saw Tyler Morris play tonight and those guys are true freshmen. And I think that was a pretty strong message sent that, listen, if you're not getting open, like we need you to make play or we need other guys to come in and have an opportunity. So, um, you know, you look at JJ McCarthy's stat line, I got to pull it up here. 13 for 27, 151 yards, uh, 151 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, not a great performance on paper. Uh, he was getting hit pretty hard in that first half. I suspect the offensive line uh, being shuffled had a lot to do with that, but um, a bit rattled by it. And I think they're, you know, as he continues to mature as a quarterback, I think there's a battle rhythm that you have to, you know, you have to get smacked around a little bit. And um, he had some of his best throws of the season tonight, and they were there were some drops. I mean, they had, he had the two touchdown throws, but um, stat line a little bit misleading with him, but not his best performance. But overall, I mean, 
workmanlike from the offense. Uh, the play calling in the first half, not not very good. Uh, they didn't really need to dial up a ton in the second half, but um, I guess let's let's park it there for a second. Um, you know, efficient in the red zone tonight. I think they were five for or six for seven, uh, if my count's correct. But you know, some of those it shouldn't take you four four plays from the one yard line to score a touchdown uh, against Rutgers. I mean, no offense to them, they played very well, very physical team, but uh, there's still there's still a creativity and flow that lacks with them at times. Uh, I'm back and forth on this because I actually got a text from my mom about the goal line in red zone about what's the deal with them running the same play over and over again. Why don't they try something else? And uh, although she hasn't written into the podcast yet, I'm sure she will at some point. And uh, my thing was, I feel like there's a mental game going on there. It's more about taking the will out of your opponent and, it goes both ways. It's a double-edged sword because if they stop you, now they have this momentum that rolls into their next offensive possession, and you didn't want to give them that momentum, obviously. But uh, there's part of me that sees what they're trying to do and what tone they're trying to set offensively and just a mentality as a team of we don't care if you know where it's going. We're going to do it anyway, and we're going to get there because you can't stop us. And Credit to Rutgers for standing up the way that they did. They took us to fourth down, I think, two out of three red zone possessions in the first half. Um, And there's part of me as a strategist that wants to see the fake dive toss or, you know, a, a fake dive bootleg or something like that. But at the same time, the, the football player in me and the guy that loves the game loves the idea of snuff them. And just, you know, just take it to them. Let them know they can't stop you. So um, my opinion's probably a little bit in the in the minority, but I don't actually have a problem with it because we converted. You don't get those. I probably feel a lot differently. Yeah, I want to bring up a tweet here from, uh, I was at Evan F009 on Twitter who says, uh, Michigan is now 103, 103 in the second half of the last four football games. What is this team doing? What like what is going on in the locker room? To you know, first of all, I think some people would ask why can't you bring it for sixty minutes like that? But is it just a, like you said, kind of a slow play, get them into the type of physical type of game you want, and then break them in the second half? Or what do you see that's led to that? My biggest thing that I feel like I've seen is the defensive adjustments that we make in the second half to whatever. Because it's not like anything specifically has like repeatedly hurt us uh, consistently game in, game out. Um, But there has been some things here and there that teams get and and move the chains on us. And I feel like Jesse Minter and his staff must do a a tremendous job of understanding what offensive weapons are hurting us. Here's how we're going to mitigate that and also not give up something that we shouldn't be giving up. We played just as well against the other threats in the first half, but there's something that surprises us typically in, in games. And whatever surprises us or, or you know, can, can get those chains moved, I feel like we do a really good job of adjusting and then um, just now generating turnovers and adjusting. That makes us very dangerous. We were already top in a lot of categories, but getting turnovers like that to put a game away, that's, that's huge. Yeah, we oftentimes talk about that next level they can reach offensively. There's another gear you can reach defensively too, and I think we've we've hit on it a lot in the last few weeks. I mean, you start ter- turning teams over in addition to the way that you've sort of been able to suffocate those guys. Thank you. Um, you know, 
that speaks for itself. So uh, I want to bring up a question here from Nerd Bill, who says, we saw Amorian Walker and Tyler Morris get targets tonight, was emphasizing the freshman wide receivers part of the game plan. Also, where was Darius Clemens? Good question on Clemens. Uh, you know, I've... I think I've either said it on here or during our pods during the week. I feel like both of those guys were still probably a year away from making an impact. But when you have Roman Wilson going down and Cornelius Johnson the last few weeks is just not, I mean, really it's been throughout the year, uh, just kind of been a bit of a no show. Uh, It's listen, we're nine weeks in uh, 10 weeks in and you need, you need to start adding like they don't need to match Ohio state style for style, but you know, you know, someone's going to be able to stop this run or slow it down at some point, and you have to have a threat of a passing game. And um, it's kind of symbiotic in how it works for everyone. But, you know, I like the message that's sent in terms of like, listen, if you're not getting the job done, we have zero issue putting the true freshman out there. Uh, and that's how it should be at a top-level program, whether that's Michigan or anywhere else that's in the top of college football. Um, the talent is so deep in these higher ranked universities and that's you know that going in that that's a fine print that if you don't get the job done not just you know week in week out but day in day out you're going to be threatened at your position and that's something that as a competitor you go okay got it confirmed and and you go to work i also think it's part of the process of development and seeing if one of these guys, now that they've been through nine, 10 weeks of the season, maybe they're doing something in practice that shows up. Maybe they're doing something that they can bring an element to the offense that maybe you wish you had, or we don't currently exhibit. So get these guys touches, get them opportunities. There's only one way to find out how someone's going to perform in a game and that's to let them run and and put them in the game. So uh, I got no issues with it. I honestly encourage it. Um, There's, bright futures ahead. I feel like for a lot of positions right now, as you watch when some of these young guys get on and some of these games that have opened up. Yeah. uh, Plenty of questions coming on in. So thank you guys so much for uh, contributing to that. Again, if you want to hop the line, feel free to use that donate feature below and we'll get you featured on this here uh, post game show. So we're going to move to one from, uh, We'll go big picture here. Uh, everyone saw the Georgia-Tennessee game. Uh, Georgia kind of put the boot on Tennessee's throat. Early, you know, it's way early for this, but Ryan, uh, I don't know how much you saw of that game, but can Michigan beat Georgia? It, might, it looks like there's a chance they could play again. Uh, I think Michigan has one of the highest probabilities of beating Georgia in college football right now, but I also think after watching Georgia, there's not a team that they play that – is not going to be an underdog. So should that meeting happen, I wouldn't expect us not to be an underdog, but um, I I do think we'd be more competitive than we were last year. Um, I don't really know why, but I do feel like this this year's – no, I do. This year's team, I feel like, is better than where we were last year, as good as we were last year. So I think we are more competitive, but uh, I remember being on the podcast after the last game and watching Michigan-Georgia and – I said we play that game 10 times, Michigan loses all 10. And I just don't see us winning that game. Maybe now I see us winning a couple out of those 10-game series. But uh, regardless, right now, as I watch Georgia, they are number one and everybody else is playing for the second spot. 
Yeah, that front seven from Georgia is really starting to get it going too. I think uh, Jalen Carter, I believe, is the defensive tackle's name who, you know, at this rate might be the number one pick in the draft. So uh, this kind of goes into the next question here from Juice of Wolf, who says the offensive line is starting to take a beating with the season on the back end. Is it time to worry about the health of the team? Um, I would say this, and you can expand on it, being that you you know have the playing experience, is that you know everyone's everyone's pretty banged up this time of year and. Um, you know, it seems like in the last week or so, there's been a rash of injuries with Michigan. I mean, tonight you were down both starting offensive tackles. You lost, uh, you know, Trevor Keegan late in the game, went in the injury tent, was limping, limping on the sidelines. Um, it is, you know, their your depth gets tested this time of year. It just does. So um, how, you know, expand on that, I guess. Where, where, where do you see in terms of are you worried about it or is this just part of how it is? I think this is part of how it is, and to be honest, as uh, bleak as this may seem, I'm not super worried about it because you didn't see a Gator come pick anybody up. You didn't see anyone leave it in an air cast. You know, the mm-hmm. significance of the injuries that I think we're experiencing right now on the spectrum of minor to severe right now, they all pretty much border on minor for the guys that we need to contribute this year. So um, overall, I think that we're healthy as we can be considering where we're at in the season. Like you said, the amount of guys that are going out Uh, in November and playing. And if you were to give them a percentage of how healthy are you, the amount of guys that go out in November that I remember being over 90% under, under half your guys, five out of your 11 on each platoon feel over 90%, but you go out there and you get the job done. So, and that's across all teams too. So it's not like some team has an advantage usually being healthier versus you. So um, I'm not super concerned, it is something to monitor moving forward because I do think that the combination of linemen, especially once Trevor Keegan exited today, uh, they struggled a little bit in pass protection with five-man pressures, which usually you don't have a problem. You pick those up. So uh, the only thing I want to know is can we can maintain chemistry and can our offense look the same should we have to go one or two deep uh, different positions on the offensive line? Yeah, I think the thing with the offensive line too is that the most serious injury that they, again, pending on, you know, we don't know what's going on with Ryan Hayes. We don't know what the update is on Trevor Keegan, but the most serious one that's on the record was Trent A. Jones having a high ankle sprain. I I think, I think he probably plays next week. I mean, that's not Intel. That's more of a gut feeling, but uh, we'll see. Um, You know, you don't want to use any of these games, especially, I mean, style points are so important for this team right now. You know, this isn't uh I don't know that you're sitting anyone out for precautionary reasons this time of year. I mean, the committee made it very clear earlier this week that it needed to see more from Michigan's body of work, which is what made that second half today. So, um, you know, so important, so critical for them. So uh, we'll see a quick one from Becky and Chad asked who got injured. Um, The guys who were out tonight was Jamon green. Uh, Jamon green wasn't uniform. I think they just decided to sit him out uh, because, Hey, it's been a long week and it's time to see more of Will Johnson who, first career pick tonight that guy used to play wide receiver and it shows when you see him returning he's got ball skills he looks like a good number two the the, yeah the jersey suits him yeah and he's he's i mean he's gonna be their number one sooner rather than later i mean probably more towards next year but he's been he's been coming on like a freight train lately he's been so fun to watch but so no jamon green tonight no roman wilson no jalen uh jalen harrell uh the two tackles that we talked about, I think that was it. And then they lose Keegan late in the game. So again, I think that's kind of where they're at right now. Uh, 
I wouldn't be surprised if JJ McCarthy has a couple bruises uh, coming out of this game, but you know, another week to, you know, you know, get back home, uh, the, you know, get back home tonight, get to bed, take the ice bath, whatever it is. Uh, let me ask you this. Did, did you ever make it through a full season without like a, a serious injury or something that really kind of slowed you up? No, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I, would like to think maybe one, but I honestly, I, I split it into spring and fall seasons. And I think both spring and fall in spring ball and fall ball, I had some injury that I'm in treatment for. I'm there early. I'm leaving late. It's you start as a defensive lineman, as an offensive lineman, treatment is part of your life. There's no one that misses treatment because you're hurt all the time. Yeah. Uh, Railroad Journeys has a comment here. Was anyone annoyed by on <laughs> Rutgers? Listen, man, you start, you start He's running. He's got swag, weirdly. That's what I think. You start running, and, I mean, we saw it. What was it, the Pro Bowl that one year where I think it was Sean Taylor laid out the punter or something like that, and it was on from there. So you you, you start running, you open yourself up to a little bit. But uh, that was It was that weird, was though. That was, it was an adventure, just, that's for sure. Statistically, they kept mentioning it on the broadcast. He had something like closing in on the record for most punts without a block, and that's how he approaches it. So he obviously has some kind of technique that's worked for him, but it seems risky every time. As a head coach, I would not tolerate that. Yeah, all kinds of tomfoolery uh, in this stadium tonight in that regard, especially on special teams. Oh, I did forget one. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker did, uh, was injured tonight. Not sure, again, the guys are down at the press conference right now. Not sure what's up with that. I don't think that's serious either. But again, they have some pretty good depth there. Colston Loveland, uh, I think, has been coming on. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, go ahead and add Luke Schoonmaker to that mix. Uh, Tommy B uh, with a $5 super chat says better chance of one loss, non conference champ making the playoff, Tennessee or Michigan. What's more of a quality loss, Tennessee at Georgia or U of M loss at OSU? I mean, one of those is we have tangible evidence that it happened and the other is hypothetical. So I would tend to think that a competitive loss for Michigan at Ohio state probably puts them ahead. Uh, Tennessee has the win over Bama, but then how big was that given that Bama has two losses now? Um, I still, my gut says that would still favor the sec because that's how this thing goes. But do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, unfortunately, I think it would favor the SEC, too. I mean, Michigan loses to Ohio State, hypothetically, and, you know, we had a lead, it's a battle, it's a last-second win, then maybe we get the nod. But if that game is in hand in any way, shape, or form, and, you know, no one loses any other games moving forward, all those teams we're talking about, I see Tennessee getting the nod over Michigan. So um, you're – one thing that we've now had two years in a row now so far, but we're in the driver's seat. We control our own destiny, uh, get to the Big Ten Championship. The West looks like it's an absolute shambles. So get to the Big Ten Championship, and you can pretty much lock in that you're going to be in the college football playoff if you handle business. So, uh, Shout out to Cab for the $1.99 super sticker. Uh, thanks for being a part of that. Uh, let's go to his question here. He sent one in about five minutes ago. Uh, what do you think Michigan's odds are in the game against Ohio State? I feel like it will come down to team mistakes. Could be a shootout. Yeah, did you watch much of that Ohio State-Northwestern game? I did. I watched actually a good chunk of it. I mean, 
The thing about Ohio State is it was glaringly obvious that they do not want to have to rely on their run game. Their run is a mix-up and change-up from the pass, and it interests me. It intrigues me because I've been in Columbus in November, and it's 10 degrees, wind chill, nose, you know, hair's frozen. If they're that paralyzed or handicapped, I guess I should say, if they're that handicapped from – the weather in Northwestern today or in Chicago today, Michigan won't feel that same pressure from that handicap. They don't have that same crutch that, that Ohio state appeared to have this week. So I'm interested. Um, if it's a, you know, oddly warm, no wind day, that's going to be a different game than if it's 20 degrees, windy snow coming down. Um, I don't like to be someone that's like the weather would impact it, but, to me, after watching what happened today, that could be a really significant factor. I mean, their athletic department and a lot of their media think that they should be playing their playoff games or, or neutral site games in a, in a dome. So, yeah, clearly the weather does rattle that program. It's it's right now what I see is it's I think the tweet I compared them to Goldilocks in that don't like their porridge too hot, don't like their porridge too cold. They don't like being thrown off schedule. Uh, C.J. Stroud kind of turns into a bit of a pumpkin when pressure is thrown his way. So, again, the weather was part of it. I can write that off in his performance, but that team is is not winning up front enough on the, on both sides of the ball, and that's where uh, – and Michigan has the mental edge given what they did last year. So Northwestern ran the football on Ohio state today that happened in the wind. So I, I feel better today than I did yesterday about our odds. I don't know what that does for your question, but I feel better. Yeah. I don't know that we can quantify it right now, but if you're, you know, ESPN's FPI, I think it's at around 75, 25 favor Ohio state. I think it's still probably have it around 60, 40, but you know, God, if there's just even a dusting of snow on that on that field, woe is woe was me for the for the Buckeyes. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, let's go to that's what happens when I do it live. We sort of hit on this already, but you want to just talk about again uh, specifically maybe some of the defensive changes in the second half. I just thought they were getting a lot more pressure. Yeah, I thought that they were planning to see pass and i feel like in the first just by some of the calls some of the calls were very base in the first half not a lot of movement not a lot of disguise sugaring whatever you want to call it and then i think in the second half we realized that this team is not going to have a balanced attack they're going to try and challenge us deep and i thought you saw us go into third down mode on first down second down third down we were prepared to let them run the ball and get five, six yards a chunk. And they didn't, they opted not to do that. They still tried to throw into us. And I thought that that was something that um, just, again, more credit, more kudos on top of already thickly layered compliments for Jesse Minter, because I feel like defensively that's been the MO of a first year defensive coordinator that has a top ranked defense in college football that, uh, we might give up a little bit in the first half, but by the third quarter, we're going to have you figured out and you're going to have to find another way because whatever your game plan was, we're going to find a way to shut it down at halftime. All right. Shout out to Cab again with another $10 sticker sent into the chat. So we appreciate that. 
Uh, we'll keep going here. Uh, actually, I have two receiving core questions, one from Jeff Ormsby and one from Anthony Spencer. Uh, Jeff asked, the receiving core is a lot different. Roman is healthy. I think they need to see Andre Anthony get more involved as well. I would, Again, he played a lot tonight, so I uh, have to go back and watch the film on that. But um, Jeff and Anthony, I'm going to kind of spin these two together. Anthony's question was, can you ever remember such a solid Michigan team with such a glaring weakness in one position group? He sees them as bottom in the conference at wide receiver. Um, Execution-wise, I think I can kind of get on board with that, but um, they have much, those guys are much better players than, than they have performed, to be frank, over the last number of weeks. So bottom of the conference is a little rough. I mean – Iowa's, Iowa's wide receivers are bottom of the conference. I would say probably middle of the pack right now, but obviously you don't have anything close to what you know some of the other teams do have. So, yeah, it is – I would say right now I have no issue calling that the weakest position group on the team. I think I can agree with you. I also think that it's perspectively something to think about that we as a team, a mantra, a motto, a slogan of our team is run the damn ball. Like we, we have guys that are out there being asked to make very few big plays. And what I will say is when we have asked them to make those plays, they're not always coming up with them. So, so I think that's fair, but I also think that today may have been the most, no, it absolutely was, but the most I've seen Michigan air the ball past the goal line in any game so far this year. The amount of times that J.J. McCarthy has had the opportunity to put the ball in the air to a Michigan receiver over the goal line have been under five, sometimes under three, or you may not see it in a game. And today you saw it at least a couple of times. So uh, I think our receivers aren't getting doing what they should be doing with the opportunities that they're getting, but the opportunities are quite scarce. Uh, and I think that's why you saw the exhibition of some of these freshman wide receivers today and their debuts. Cause the coaches are turning up the pressure. We are only going to give you a few opportunities. So when you get them, we need to see something happen. Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, there was yeah. one Anthony Spencer who asked the last question. So would you agree that wide receiver is one of the easiest positions for freshmen to play? I don't, I don't know. Um, because a lot of these guys come out of high school and, you know, all I ever had to do was just run fast and get open. Um, there's a lot of nuance to route running and and getting a playbook down. So, you know, I'm not surprised that it's taken you know, 10 weeks to see the guys that we saw tonight. But um, I would say probably if I had to rank them, I would say running back is probably the easiest. But I mean, again, you being the former player here, how would you where do you think that sits in the rankings of, you know, easiest transition? I honestly would agree. I, I would say wide receiver is probably the easiest position for a freshman to play. And the reason I say that is because of the development of the seven on seven travel league football that exists now in high school that didn't even seven on seven used to be like maybe one team or two teams that you scrimmage twice in the summer when you're a high school athlete. That's not how it is now. Seven on seven teams play year round in indoor facilities and it's constant. So I honestly think that wide receiver translating to the college game is probably very similar as long as you can be quick to uptake the playbook and what your routes are supposed to be alignments that type of stuff and then you have the aggressiveness especially in a team like michigan to be able to go out and perform blocks because we're going to be asking that of you and it's going to make an impact in the game but i would say receiver being one of the easier positions to transition to 
makes sense as someone who did not play that position, but it does make sense. All right, we're going to do a couple rapid fire ones where I'm going to let you be the the expert and I'll just be the point guard. So uh, this one's from Matt McLean. He says, real question here. Should Michigan move Donovan Edwards to a <laughs> more of a starting receiver role? Thoughts? No, no. He's too good out of the backfield. That would be silly. Uh, he's, he's getting like, better to me, there too. Oh, yeah. he He's so ready to – he might be better than Corum. Uh, uh, bold take, but Donovan Edwards is, I think – patiently waiting for the spotlight because I think Corum as good as he is Donovan Edwards might have just a little bit more uh, to offer in terms of being dynamic, obviously with how he does in the passing game, but the way he can be patient, then burst through the hole. He's just got a little something extra there and he's special. I'm really happy we have him, but no, you don't want to move into a receiver spot to me. He reminds me of a Debo Samuel that's running back first receiver second as opposed to Debo Samuel being receiver first, running back second. But to move him to a starting wide receiver spot, I feel like would take away from his carries in the backfield, and we can't do that. He needs to get the ball in the backfield. Yeah, would love to see more of a look where you have both him and Corum in the backfield or just on the field at the same time. I think that's that would do It's happened, but it's them. so rare. Yeah, I agree. It's I'd love very to see scarce. It. Yeah. Um, one from Zion Schaub who asks you, Ryan, are you less worried about Illinois after the performance against MSU today? Well, I talked last week with us and we were discussing Illinois and is it a trap game and how good are they? And my biggest thing with Illinois is I do feel like they're very similar to what Michigan is in that they're going to be a very sound defense. They're going to try and have a balanced offensive attack, be on the field for long stretches of time. And to me, you're not going to beat Michigan. I think Michigan is playing their brand of football the best that the, anyone in the country can play it. Uh, the control the clock, limit the big plays on defense, um, the no turnovers, and j- just play good, sound football. Michigan's been doing that better than I think almost anyone in the country has, just in our particular lane of how we like to play the game. And I think Illinois plays in a similar lane, but they don't play in a similar level. So uh, anything can happen, but my concern level for Illinois has not risen, I think, to the level of most because I think that they are Michigan, but just a lesser than for this year. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, Kokomo, Indiana wants to know, what grade would we give JJ? A quick one from me. Um, C plus, B minus, not his best day, but you know, I don't think the stat line really reflects you know, how well he played at certain moments too. So I'll, I'll round up B minus. I'm going to say a C plus. Uh, the reason I say that is because I think that we can expect more from him. I think he expects more from himself. I thought that he missed some throws that he shouldn't miss. I Part of that is a result of there being more pressure than there is usually with the mix up on the offensive line. I really didn't like in the first half how he, took care of his body or the lack thereof. Uh, and when you're a starting quarterback and you know, your team needs you, you have no one behind you. Cause McNamara has been down now for a while. You can't put your shoulder down on a second and eight and try to get an extra yard to make it third and one. You just can't unless it's overtime or something like that, but that just wasn't the situation that we're in. And there's times where he does that. And it's just like, as much as you may think it's you're coming off as tough, it's actually a selfish move because the team needs you for the next down. And I think with maturity or with more time, he'll develop some more maturity, and that'll be something that that he understands. But um, 
there were some drops. The other thing is the guy is a freaking risk taker, man. He's at the carnival throwing darts at the balloons when it comes to throwing it over the middle uh, between guys. But I got to give him credit. They're all on the money. They, they have been. If they're, if they're six inches displaced, it's a pick. But they're not six inches off. They're right where they should be. So you got to give the kid credit where it's due. But C plus because I think there's a lot more opportunity, a lot more potential for him. I would agree with that. Uh, can't believe we haven't really done this yet. Michael Barrett, first two picks of his career, one of them goes for a pick six. I mean, um, if there's a game ball to hand out today, it probably goes to that guy uh, first and foremost. I mean, lots to lots to go around, but shout out to him. Uh, we're going to take a couple more here. Maybe just this one more here I think would be a good place to end. Uh, from Josh Kemi, has Michigan conquered their red zone woes? We had significantly more touchdowns than field goals today. I would say yes and no. I would think that I say they executed what they were asked to do very well. Um, they still need to be better there and more creative there. Is, does that feel accurate? I would say so. Uh, statistically, yes, they conquered the red zone woes, but the method in which they did it in seemed very stubborn and uh, unmalleable as a, as a play caller. So um, I think when you get into and now – it's tough not to look ahead because we're in November and we know what's coming at the end of this month. And we have two more games that we have to win before, before turning our heads to that game. But I think that what we did to earn our touchdowns in the red zone today, if we were to put that same play sheet in front of, uh, in front of Michigan and Ohio state, we may not see those scores. So uh, I'm excited that it seems to be something we're emphasizing because we did come away with those touchdowns, but at the same time, the creativity I thought was lacking. Yeah, uh, quest, quick question here from Ryland, who says kickoff time for Nebraska. Didn't see it established yet. Yeah, uh, they will play at 3.30 next week. So first 3.30 kickoff of the season. First 3.30 home game. We looked this up earlier today since the 2018 season. So it's been a minute. So nice little mid-afternoon matinee for the Wolverines. Uh, Mackenzie Sipe with a $5 super chat. Think that Steve Klinkscale is happy about the interceptions. Great win and go blue. Safe travels home. Thank you for that. Yeah, he's been the one that's been harping on it. I think we talked to him this week, and he's like, I want I want more takeaways, period, exclamation point. So mission accomplished there. Um, Ryan, as a former defensive player, are takeaways something that are infectious and have the ability to snowball, or is it just game to game? Ah. Uh... It's a great question. I, I think it's a little bit of both. If, if it's part of your makeup, your chemistry, your team uh, to generate takeaways, then I feel like it's something that you'll do game in, game out. But if you ha- go a game with slumps or something like that, I feel like it's something that can go the other way where you don't see it for two games, three games, four games, and then it comes back and it bites you. And I feel like today the the defense finally looked like it was fully operating on all eight cylinders. The one thing that I'll say that I'm we still have not put a ball in, in, like fumbles, created a fumble through helmet on a hat or hat on the ball, ripping out a strip. And I see those guys trying it at the end of the plays, so it's not like we're not thinking about it, but it's just such an anomaly to me that we cannot generate a fumble. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick over it. We had turnovers. They were all interceptions. They were all in one quarter. And to generate turnovers as a defense, that's one of the boxes you have to check to be great. And this has been a very, very good defense, but 
today's performance, put them in that great category, and they need to generate a few more uh, as we move through the end of the season in order to be one of the greatest, which I think they might have the potential to be that from Michigan. Well, again, people often say, oh, they're saving all their offensive plays for Ohio State. Maybe they're saving the fumbles for Ohio State. Who's to say? <laughs> um, a lot of football still to play, but uh, I think that's a good place for us to put a pin in this tonight. Uh, Michigan comes into Piscataway, uh, 38 unanswered points in the second half, walk out with a 52-17 win. Uh, Ryan Van Bergen, again, as always, thank you for your time. Uh, we won't be burning the midnight oil after next week's game, which is a nice change of pace after the last few weeks. So, uh, appreciate you there. Appreciate everyone that jumped in with questions. Feel free to uh, like the video below, subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel. It's in our podcast feed for those of you who like to listen back after the fact or missed early parts of the show. Uh, we'll be back next week. Appreciate you guys. Uh, those of you who made your way out to New Jersey, travel home safe, and we'll talk to you again soon.